guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 31. So today I'm, I'm very, very excited to be joined by Corin Inman. And Corin is basically the second part of the awesome Trained by JP. And we were lucky enough to be joined, um, I think in December, it seems really close, but um, I think it was as long ago as December, we were joined by Jordan, and Jordan um, was amazing, we had one of the best episodes, and I think it's one of the most viewed episodes, so I'm really looking forward to speaking to Corin, and just to give Corin a little bit of a, a brief intro for those that sort of, again, you must have been sort of living under a rock to not know Corin and her <laughs> shredded glutes, um, but... <laughs> But Corin is a very accomplished uh, powerlifter and bodybuilder uh, competing in uh, women's physique. And obviously, I think you've done raw and uh, equipped powerlifting. Is that correct, Corin? No, I only have done raw. Just so raw. Uh, raw with knee wraps, but okay. I've never done suited. Okay, cool. And yeah, very, very accomplished in both some crazy lifts to go with a crazy physique. Um, and alongside that, extremely knowledgeable um and you know just coached a whole array of athletes am i right in saying that um you coach both male and female through trained by jp corin yeah yeah that's correct anyone who's willing to work hard yeah yeah no i can imagine that cool so yeah i'm very awesome guest today guys and we are primarily going to touch on fat loss for females in this episode so a lot of the questions will be protruding to female contest prep and how Corin would potentially set up female fat loss phases, as I think that this is a topic that um, not only Corin will be very knowledgeable and very experienced on, but uh, also is, is sort of overlooked and uh, not discussed as much in the fitness industry. So it'd be great to get sort of some resource out there for, for girls that are looking to get extremely peeled. Um, so uh, Corin, first off, if you could just give us a little bit of a roundup on sort of your competitive history um, and what it sort of took you to get from the, the sort of competitive athlete that you were in the other sports that you played, because I know you were very competitive um, in, in other sports prior to bodybuilding. So what it took you to sort of get from, from there to the stage um, and just give us a roundup of that really. Okay, um, thanks for having me on. Um, I've got a lot to live up to, obviously, with uh, Jordan's <laughs> amazing podcast, so I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so me in brief, always been really quite sporty. Um, I did gymnastics and kickboxing primarily in my youth, uh, okay. both to a good competition level, but, but nothing crazy. Um, I went to Loughborough University. Um, I didn't actually own a gym membership at all until I met Jordan at university. Wow. He um, obviously was very into, he was actually in the prep for his first bodybuilding show as a junior. Um, so I got bored of watching him train. So I thought, sod this, I'm going to give it a go. Huh. And that's when I bought my first gym membership and got into training Training then. Awesome. Um, so competition wise, I did my first competition in 2012. And that was at the, that was a new KBFF. It was in the figure category. Um, and I came that was at the body power show Um, after that I then embarked on my first powerlifting meet the same year I believe at the latter end Mm -hmm. Um, and that simply came about by by training um, training really hard Jordan's always taught me from the start so I had a good a good teacher from the off if you like yeah sure Uh, and he he literally just said she fancy doing a powerlifting meet you know you're you're quite strong Mm -hmm. I was like okay 
Um, it wasn't anything I'd ever pre-thought about, to be honest. Okay. Uh, we entered the comp and, and that was that. I did, did really well. Um, and then it escalated from there, really. I got into, I loved the diet and training elements. It, it came very easy to me to stick to a, to a diet. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and then I did a bit more powerlifting in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when I... Uh, won my first European title for bench press. Awesome. Uh, that was in the June. So that was after about a year of, of proper training. Mm-hmm. Um, then I did NABBA in 2014 and I came second at the British. And then I did the Universal later that year and I came sixth in, in that competition. Mm-hmm. Then after, I, did, I did the powerlifting world championships that year as well. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to piece it all together in my mind I can't remember the dates and things so much uh, yeah it kind of we, we jump in and out and uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's just been a crazy few beginning beginning really to my career mm-hmm. and then 2015 um, I did UK BFF uh, the women's physique category yeah um, I didn't actually look great for the show okay. um, we sort of missed the peak a little bit on that one and I wasn't wasn't rewarded I wasn't placed at all and rightly so um, and then again Last year, I, which was 2016, I then tried the British again. Uh, sadly, again, I didn't get placed there. So I did a PCA show at the latter end of the year, and I, I won that mm-hmm, one. Yeah. And then I went on to do the WFF 2016 Worlds, and I won that one. I actually, won my pro card in in that category in that division, and that was that was brilliant. That was, that was great, mm-hmm. and I think that was probably my best look to date. Yeah. Um, amongst this, I did the Europeans in 2015 for mm-hmm. powerlifting, and that was in June, and I won that, and I and won the overall in that as well. Yeah. Um, I then, last year, at the beginning of the year in March, I went over to Melbourne for the Arnold Classic, um, and I competed in the Pro Raw powerlifting meet, and that was a, an invite-only uh, professional meet. Yeah. And um, I, that's when I took my 502.5 raw total and that at the time was the highest uk female total across all federations Hmm. um and then sadly well not sadly because she's a great powerlifter but lisa james currently now holds the highest one but um Uh every intention to get that one back Uh, yeah so but i haven't competed in powerlifting since last march so that's that's it in brief in brief (laughs) in there so but yeah lots more to come yeah no definitely i mean what stands out for me is the the amount that you've done in such a short period of time like you know only getting into training recently and then just sort of spurting onto both powerlifting and and bodybuilding stages it's awesome and then again i think what people can take home from that is that you know if anyone follows jordan they'll know how how much he preaches the basics and the big compound moves with regards to not only how well they are from sort of developing movement patterns but also developing a dense physique and that's obviously something that that you've displayed both you know with with being able to get world records that will mean your execution is nailed and then also transferring that into a crazy physique is is part and parcel so it's um you know it's an awesome journey and i think a lot of people will probably take take some some notes from that for sure in terms of what they should potentially be doing so um corin first question really is we know that with females when it comes to that that pre-stage build up of gaining some tissue 
I see it a lot recently where sort of females are more rushing into getting onto the stage um, and not really spending enough time investing on building their physique and sort of getting a foundation there. So from like a muscle gain perspective, um, what would you say in terms of like the length of time people should be training or at least having a stimulus there until they sort of look at themselves and think, okay, right, I'm I'm at the stage where I could potentially compete. Um, and do you think that, would you agree that maybe people are rushing things at the moment? And, and why do you think that's happening? Um, yeah, I mean, well, for a start, I think it's the same principle for male and female. That's a good um, point, yeah. So, I mean, I, I try not to distinguish too much because it's the same process and I believe it's the same same mindset that everybody should, should have despite Agreed. gender. Um, so, I think firstly, it's very person-dependent and it also depends on the category. Okay. If you are, obviously I compete in the more muscular areas yeah, of the more sure. muscular categories. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, if, if you're a female who hasn't really weight trained before um, and you want to develop a more muscular physique that is going to take more time to gain the level of muscle mass required so which obviously needs a longer phase to build the muscle mass before you even considered stepping on stage Mm. if you um obviously are doing one of the the smaller categories bikini or figure and you've already got an you know a certain amount of muscle mass Mm. your off-season phase sort of in inverted commas would would and is and can be a lot shorter as you simply don't need to develop the same amount of tissue. Of course. Um, but I do believe that people are rushing to the stage, and I think that's largely just down to the sort of craze that we're living in that everybody wants to step on stage and everyone wants to compete, and that is absolutely fantastic because yeah. I love it. It's great. There's nothing. There's no better feeling than getting a sparkly bikini, slamming mm-hmm. up and getting on stage. And I and I really believe that having set goals for most people is is brilliant it's a really good um, incentive uh, and a really good focus to your training to your dieting and it, it keeps you on track Agreed. so it's great to have a target but yes i do believe people because of the way that social me- social media um sort of promotes these rapid transformations people do believe they can go from zero to hero in in eight weeks because they've seen a picture of somebody else and that simply isn't the case for 99% of people. Mm. So I think that it's great to target something but maybe give yourself as a, as a rough guide, maybe give yourself a year, say, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to get really regimented with my diet, my training. I'm going to enjoy this process, ensure that I love it and want to do it because there's a lot of people that jump into a comp prep and I kind of feel that six weeks through, it's making them more, more miserable than happy. Yeah. So it's great to get solidified with it with an off season phase at the beginning of the year and maybe target a later show. So you know that you love it, you know that you're you're bang on the process and you can either be coached or coach yourself and then commit to a show. And then that should give you enough time to set yourself up from a muscular perspective, but also from a dietary perspective and an adherence perspective. Mm. So then you've kind of covered all, all formats there. So you know you're gonna enjoy it peak and it's going to be a really fantastic experience rather than a rushed potentially stressful and unenjoyable experience which it should never be yeah yeah i totally agree with that and i think that you know from um from a time perspective people need time to like you said build the mindset and sort of feel, fall in love with the bodybuilding process Absolutely. of yeah. like eating the meals doing the training like if you can if you if you're not in love with 
eating the meals, doing the training, sleeping, staying stress-free. If you're not in love with that when you're in a surplus, I don't think yeah. <laughs> don't think you're going to enjoy it when you're in deficit. You're certainly not going to enjoy it. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, there's everybody, even when you absolutely love the process, has those days when they go, I really just want to lay on the sofa. Of course, yeah. Or, you know, I really don't fancy eating that meal. But, you know, 99% of the time, you should absolutely love what you're doing and like you said if you're not loving it in a surplus you really are not going to be loving it in a deficit <laughs> so it, you know get your mindset into the correct place and ensure that you really want to do it and it's it's absolutely not failing to say do you know what i've tried i tried like to be strict but didn't like it yeah yeah i, I agree that's, that's actually a better option in my opinion i think to sort of just say you know at a certain point i'm not enjoying it this is not for me and sort of backing out and you know going and finding a sport that you actually exactly. enjoy doing exactly absolutely yeah sure um from a sort of i mean i know i see this trait a lot with really successful bodybuilders and people that i've interviewed in the past but do you think there's like this main trait that I see is basically people that come from competitive sports and primarily competitive sports that are like um, not team sports so that you're just your own person and you have to work hard yourself Um, so I know that you came from a uh, sporting background but do you think there's any sort of other characteristics that you see in both maybe by female and male that sort of you know really respond well to to not only weight training but the process of bodybuilding and, and really nailing it when it comes to a contest prep phase, both in terms of mindset and physique? Yeah, I mean, obviously from um, a physical perspective, if you've got some sort of background with sport, it doesn't even have to be like to an extreme level, but if you've been yeah. very, like, you know, quite sporty in your youth or whatever, um, the concept of muscle memory is very real. So you, you will be able to... Uh, get into the rhythm of training and regain and build quite a lot of tissue more so than somebody who's an absolute beginner who hasn't done it at all yeah so from that perspective yes having a sporty background is advantageous uh not not necessary um mm. it may just take a little bit more time like i said you know muscle memory is a very powerful tool yeah um i think it's you know what in my experience it's kind of it's one of those things where you can get somebody who's never even been into sport they all of a sudden find it and they're sort of the last person on earth that you'd expect to be able to tailor their mindset to this routine but but they can do it and yeah. i think primarily it, it comes down to the goals and the want of that person if you i believe with everything in life not just training and dieting if you really want to achieve something you will mm. so the only thing that's going to get in your way is that real that real determination like a lot of people will say they want to do a certain thing but actions speak a lot louder than words so to speak and yeah. that's the case with this as well so i, I think you know I've, I've got clients that have literally just been a middle-aged mum who's gone sod it want to try something new and it's been absolutely incredible to see them switch on in terms of mindset yeah and they've kind of shocked themselves and they're like god i'm i'm actually doing this and mm. it's like yeah because they really believe that they want to i mean obviously having competitive history and that competitive edge is i can't is, is a must i think yeah, like yeah. you can't want to compete unless you're competitive that's just that's just logical so having that 
sort of innately is always a benefit as well. But I think just deciding you want to change and having the determination and the willpower to do it is the key mental aspect that you need. So don't just say you want it truly truly want it mm-hmm. and then you absolutely can just switch your mind to whatever you want to do yeah. and i believe that yeah no i do agree with that absolutely i think you know you can you can almost see it in some people that that aren't even sporty but like have huge dedication and work ethic for maybe their job or their career or something like that yeah exactly they're it's able to work like hugely long days get up at 5 a.m and things that just like do stuff that some other people just really wouldn't do exactly um, and you know like work through phases of not enjoying their job and things like that and then those are the people that tend to do really really well and exactly. i think you know i remember um being told like sort of you know when sort of trying to get to those really lean levels of contest prep shape you know it, it almost becomes who's mentally strong enough to get there as opposed to sort of what process are you doing sort of how well are you refeeding what's the you know what's the approach you're taking things like that it's it's almost down to like who's mentally strong enough to to see it through to the end and that's what separates you yeah Yeah. i was just just to say absolutely like especially in those sort of more testing times Mm -hmm. it will come down to the mental aspect and if you can dig in then you're gonna prevail and if you if you can't then you just simply won't yeah (laughs) so yeah (laughs) you're absolutely right cool wicked so um I see this a lot again, both male and female, and I actually had it literally yesterday with a client that I unfortunately had to sort of say, either we find a later show or we're not going to do it this year. Um, yeah. I sort of had to turn them away and it's upsetting. I'm sure that you have plenty of situations like this with, with you and, and, and Jordan and clients that approach you. But, you know, when it comes to people and their start points, um, why do you think so many people are messing it up and what do you think is your advice for people when you know if, if someone's out there looking for to start a bodybuilding prep and uh, what's your advice in terms of starting points and, and why do you think people just continually mess it up yeah okay i think um well for a start if you're an absolute beginner mm-hmm. your start point is simply going to be your start point That's like it. you haven't how you haven't spent time building that that to anything so you just in in that case you just have to um like, like we said a moment ago get a regiment get yeah. a regime stick to it and go and start so yeah. that's that start point obviously we can't alter that one yeah because you never know when you're going to start Absolutely. um mm-hmm. so in terms of kind of like more experienced competitors for for the stage yeah it's all comes down to the previous show really um agreed it's important that you don't it's such an important window after that show when you've got down to a good lean body weight don't rebound and that's when the most issues arise because a lot of people will have worked so damn hard that they then can't control themselves potentially for like a month post-show they can't get back on on track so their training goes out the window Uh, their diet goes out the window they put on too much weight too soon and then before you know it they've put on a hell of a lot of fat they then sit there they then try to start an off season but they've already gained too much fat so they're starting a surplus phase already 30 pounds over stage weight and then they then try to start their next prep who knows 40 50 pounds over stage weight yeah the fat has sat there for a year 
uh, and then then you're kind of in trouble. So I think to to really get a good start point, you have to view your whole year as a prep and as a setup for the next event. Yeah. Like for me, 365 days of the year, I am focusing on my next goal, and the decisions I make today are going to affect the outcome of the competition at the end of the year. So, yep, we're human and we can have downtime. But Mm -hmm. if you really want to progress, you have to be on it 99% of the time. You have to be ensuring that the decisions you make now are going to be the best decisions at the end of the year to start that prep. Mm. So you have to think of it as a long-term process and almost give yourself a game plan. You know, (laughs) say I'm going to push up 10 pounds nice and steady and then going to see where I'm at, see what I'm looking like, assess my body fat, assess my muscularity, my strength, my well-being, then make another decision. So it's good to set yourself, you know, bi-weekly, four-weekly targets, yeah. and then you can assess, reevaluate, and then that way you're always on top of what, what you're doing. Um, you're in control, so nothing will ever escalate or get out of your control, and that's the only way you can really ensure to start appropriately and of course giving yourself enough time to prep and for my clients i i wouldn't really take anyone on for less than 16 weeks for a show because i would absolutely rather have too much time than less time yeah agreed Um, for females although i say i prefer a 20-week prep in honesty because typically females will uh, obviously sort of anabolics aside um they're less likely to be using them, so we don't have that as a tool. Yeah. But also, in my experience, females tend to have worse rebounds than men in a lot of cases, so their start point is sometimes less optimal. Yeah. Uh, so I favour for men and women, sixteen to twenty weeks. Just the longer, the longer, the better, really, because then the coach or yourself can really be in control. And like I said, it's better to have too much time than too little time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I'm sort of definitely on the agreement there with sort of having more time than, than you need because we then we can obviously allocate for periods of time of slower progress, uh, yeah. a, week, a week of high stress, a week of just constant issues, being ill or something like that, rather than sort of having this tight nick protocol which gets you there on perfect time, but then yeah. you lose two weeks and then it's all down the pan. Sadly, the perfect prep very rarely happens. So, yeah. so definitely give yourself a little bit of leeway. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, it's all relative as well with regards to obviously females generally being lighter than males. But is there any sort of general recommendations that you'd sort of say to a competitor that's finished a prep as to how far they should stray away from their stage weight? And are you more inclined to sort of say... That's that's um that's use the scale as a tool, but that's use images and body fat uh, calipers more as opposed to the scale. Um, which do you sort of favour in a gaining phase, in t- in terms of maintaining or controlling excess body fat gain? Yeah, I think as a general rule, I would say don't get more than maybe fifteen to twenty percent over your your stage weight. Okay. So say a female is on stage at about 120 pounds for example mm-hmm. i certainly wouldn't really want them to be pushing more than 20 pounds over that because yeah. there's just there's simply no need uh, for guys if they again it's dependent if mm-hmm. you've got a guy who wants to be a super heavyweight and they've got a ton of muscle that they need to add 
weight moves weight in the gym. Yeah. Uh, you know, a surplus. Food is our most anabolic tool most of the time. So a surplus will definitely guarantee that you put on more muscle. So for a guy who really needs to push up in weight, potentially they can go a, a bit a bit higher than that, basically. Yeah. So get a bit further from, from condition. Uh, also, it's person dependent as well. If somebody is very good at getting lean or, you know, stubborn fat isn't an issue for them, they could push up a little harder. If if stubborn body fat is an issue or condition has been an issue in the past, be a little bit more tentative, a little bit more cautious and stay closer to your stage weight. Uh, but as a, as a general rule, sort of 15 to 20%, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, once you've finished a comp prep, obviously you are sitting, hopefully, incredibly lean um, and probably a little bit lighter, um, uh, you know, than you would do because you always drop quite a few pounds from water and stuff for the stage. So yeah. I think it's best to get someone out of that scary, super lean danger zone, if you, so to speak, pretty much instantly. Same Within a good, point, yeah. You want to be seven pounds up because then you're going to feel good there. And that's still super lean, like super lean. Yeah. So get yeah. get out of that hole initially. And then from there, you can put the weight on steadily over over your your time frame and obviously that depends on when your next competition is uh but definitely take it in very small increments mm-hmm. um but so does that answer the question is Absolutely. there another bit to... no okay. no that's brilliant i think yep. the um yeah the only other thing was to the um when you're sort of pushing body weight up alongside oh, how do that, I yeah yeah is as opposed like more are you more inclined to look at images and like, for example, if they're getting very close to that 15 to 20% rule and you think, can we push it a bit more? Yeah. Like, would you look at images? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes. Sorry. I got a bit carried away there. I forgot the other half of the question. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) Absolutely. Like with my clients, um, obviously it's online. So we have to use, I do use scale weight because it's, it's a good tool. Um, If I, had a face to like myself and Jordan we we prep each other essentially and nice. I actually don't weigh myself or very rarely weigh myself because wow, there's just there's simply no need like I know what I need to look like and nobody is getting out the body fat calipers on stage and going hang on a minute great physique but your subscap still over four or whatever no no one cares about <laughs> these objective measures on stage so but for online clients and and as a good rule of thumb um, I would go by by the scales, but like you said, when someone's getting to that limit, where p- potentially on paper you would think, "Oh, we need to rein this in," but I, the visual is really, really important to me because a picture speaks a thousand words. Yeah. So if they've still got, you know, a real tiny waist, they've still got lines through glutes and legs and and whatnot, then body fat is in a controllable controllable place. I don't particularly use calipers or any sort of bod pod or anything but that's more more just because the average client doesn't have that available to them someone can get a bod pod scan every four weeks and they want to or they can get body fat calipers read absolutely getting read it's just another great a great measure Mm -hmm. Uh, but typically i would go by the visual and also by their feedback if i say to them you know you know if someone's got a stubborn area say it's their stomach they might hold fat on their on their abs so i'd say okay pinch that for me how does that feel yeah. you know is that, 
is that good? Is that okay? Okay. Um, obviously, you've got to trust your client. They might just say, yeah, it's great, because <laughs> they've modeled. But um, visual, good feedback, um, and scales to some extent are yeah. all good tools, definitely. Yeah, and um, that's awesome. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, when it comes to body fat measuring and things like that, we know that dexa and things like that will probably provide you with some more accurate numbers and you're not gonna say to your clients and their protocol they have to get a dexa every month of course yeah yeah so it would be silly so the 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 power of images is great and i think that yeah you know i've learned that even with myself recently when sort of people were you know would say that you know you can only go about this amount above your stage weight and things like that and you know, taking into account that I'm very young, or like 20 years old, so I've, I think you know you've got to you've got to take into account where the person's at and their ability to build muscle, and you know, obviously someone that's like got a, um, a higher training age and also is older might be sort of staying close to their stage weight because they're going to look more to next time how they how they can retain the muscle that they've got better because that's going to yeah that's going to promote a better physique. Um, it's so person dependent. It's also health as well. I mean, like your older client, my older clients, or whatever. I don't. It's not healthy to to sit really heavy if it's like crap, yeah. rubbish. You know, yeah. you don't want to put extra excess pressure on your heart, your blood pressure, or anything like that. You know, yeah. for a younger guy, like you said, don't rub it in that you're twenty either. No, nah. <laughs> uh, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> you know, you could push up, and you're gonna. You've got a hell of a lot of time, mm. so you could push up you know gain more weight than we're sort of talking about now but you'd still feel great on it because you're nice and young and healthy and you've got a load of time to get it off and also your you know your whole body and responsiveness to training like you've just mentioned will be potentially higher than the older individuals so yeah your ability to put the weight on be healthy and get it off is probably going to be greater than somebody who's over double your age so yeah yeah, these factors really need to be to be uh, counted into your prep so sure. yeah definitely person dependent i think i think it's great that we've mentioned that because unfortunately what i'm seeing corinne is like the younger guys like myself and things like that will, will follow the very evidence-based perfect approach and they won't they won't they, they won't ever push their body weight up enough because they're too scared to push it up. Yeah. They're too scared to gain body fat and they're too scared to stray away from this perfect ideal of like, I need to be 15, 20 pounds above my stage weight or something like that. And whilst that's great and it's awesome for quite a lot of competitors, for the younger guys that can really pack it on, they're missing out on this phase. Exactly. Like they're missing out on the huge amount of growth that they could have. And you know, um, what's the goal? Like if, if the guy doesn't want to put more size on and actually just wants to yeah. look pretty good all year round, sure, stick That's to the rule. But if you actually want to be a bodybuilder or put on muscle, you've got to do what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. And nothing nothing builds mass better than food and weight. Simply, yeah. it doesn't. So, yep, there are rules in inverted commas, but do what you've got to do to reach your goals uh, and don't, you know, listen to everything, take on advice, but don't ever try to do anything by a textbook because it doesn't work. That's not reality, unfortunately. And yeah. we've all that, I'm sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Um, whilst we're on the topic of images as well, I'd like to ask you a question as to, um, we know that, like, and people listening to this will relate, if I take an image with like the window facing me and white light glaring onto me, 
I'll look way different to if I take an image post-workout with a pump, loads of carbs <laughs> yeah. in me, all good. Is there any sort of like guidelines that you give to people that do their images or are you just sort of requesting that they're in the same lighting every time and roughly at the same time of day? Um, is there anything yeah. you do with that? Just consistency, really. Like yeah. you said, I mean, I know uh, there's places in my house when I take progress pictures where I look terrible. Yeah. So I avoid those like the plague. <laughs> and there's places where I look better. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at, like I said, because it's online and I don't see clients in person too frequently, mm. all I need is consistency. So it doesn't really matter where that is, but just be consistent. So then at least when I'm I'm comparing it, it's actually comparable. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's best to have, you know, you know, people aren't stupid. Take the picture, have a look. If it's too bright and too stark, then it could be blurring you out. Yeah. So choose somewhere that's got, you know, a nice bit of natural light where you can see enough detail and it's just relatively consistent because that's that's all you need really yeah absolutely and i i think you know that the idea of taking pictures in very harsh lighting is cool in the idea that if you look absolutely diced in horrible lighting then you're probably going to be extremely diced under stage yeah. lighting but at the same time, I think it can be quite demoralizing for people if they continue to take pictures in horrendous lighting. I know oh. that I know that if I took all my pictures in horrific lighting, I'd be I'd be like, oh, no, that that bit's yeah. not coming in. As, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be really upset. So I no, think yeah. a good combination of having like both some like pretty favorable lighting and some and then just your consistent same every week or same bi-weekly photos is probably the best the best way to deal with that i think just just try and find an area in your house which you think is reflect the you know where the photo reflects the reality to to the best extent really because i don't want to you know like you said you don't want to look at pictures of yourself in terrible lighting that makes you look worse yeah but again it's also not good to sort of find a spot that where you look fantastic so your coach thinks you're a lot leaner or something than you are yeah, so again you know just to try and find a spot that is the most representative of what you look like and, yeah. and you then you'll be able to see progress so yeah but absolutely agree some photos are just demoralizing <laughs> <laughs> but, i think i think i think photos are great as well because like I, half the time i have people say to me clients say to me like Oh, I look, I look way different when I'm training. Or I look way different in the mirror, and then they'll take yeah. photos, and they're very, very honest, and like they just show exactly what's there. So you know that if someone's like, you know, when people start to get lean and they start seeing more vascularity, they're like, "Wow, I'm really, really lean." And then they take a photo, and they're like, "Wow, I'm not actually that lean at all." Yeah, it was <laughs> um, just a vein. Yeah, it's just a vein. Yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the all their other friends in the gym will say they're stage ready because of that vein, and then yeah, they're shredded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous anyway so um yeah next question in terms of when so we got the start point and people are sort of in a good position to get get prepping and get fat loss going in regards to the the rate of loss that you look for competitors is there any sort of guidelines and if you look at a contest prep do you have phases potentially like at the start? Do you see a greater rate of loss in terms of percentage of their body weight or pounds per week? And then do you see things slow down? Um, and yeah, just cover that question first and I'll do a side okay. note onto that. So assuming that somebody's come to me in a, a relatively good spot um, to start their prep, yeah. I, I prefer to see 
the bigger weight chunks coming off at the beginning of the prep because logically you're fattest at the beginning of the prep so you can lose the most without it being a detriment Mm -hmm. Uh, and then as you get closer to the stage i will be looking for smaller uh smaller uh, weight drop Mm -hmm. that's to ensure obviously like i just said you've got less fat at the latter end so if you're having these big drops that's likely to not be a very good sign it's likely to be a chunk of glycogen which you need for training yeah. or it's likely to be muscle mass and mm-hmm. we don't be eating into that mm-hmm. so for me i prefer the bigger jumps at the beginning maybe sort of two pound maximum i don't really think you should be dropping more than that in a week Agreed. Um, and then that should sort of steady off and then at the latter end it's actually okay um to just drop a very very small amount like half a pound or even less than that sometimes mm. or sometimes at the latter end it's okay to see a no change in weight, but the visual might have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I prefer the larger chunks at the beginning and then tapering off. Yep. As a general rule of thumb, the whole process should never be uh, sporadic. It should also be, always be nice and steady. If you lose a ton of weight, something's wrong. So something needs to be rectified. So generally, nice and steady drops throughout. And then I can intervene if someone was to lose a hell of a lot of weight. Say we made... A dietary change and their body just responded um, and they dropped or perhaps it was a bit too much of a cut who knows Mm -hmm. and they dropped a lot of weight I would immediately intervene with a refeed and I'd prefer to do that with a day of higher carbs because I want to refill the tank I don't want to say to them go and have a cheat meal they'll have one cheat meal I haven't got any regulation over that it's probably going to be quite high in fats and potentially not very carb dense i would favor that person over a training day uh, preferably i gave them a set meal plan where they're hitting i don't know x amount of grams of carbs in every single meal so for the day it's a real high carb refeed which i can then regulate Mm -hmm. and then that's that's to restore glycogen push their weight back up and almost reset and just bottleneck that that big drop Mm -hmm. and then we regulate from from there on so that's my approach to it Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm definitely on the side of favoring a, a sort of a refeed approach, which is structured as opposed to sort of saying, if you go and cheat, I think from a, from a psychological perspective as well, it's almost more beneficial because, you know, with the refeed aspect, it's like you still eat very similar ish foods to what you would have been doing on a normal day. So with a, with a cheat, like it just opens it opens the light at the end of the tunnel for you. And if you think yeah. that you have like a cheat every week, you're constantly psychologically looking forward to that. So, so you mm. become like buried in the darkness of dieting throughout the week. And exactly. It's like, oh, you get a glimpse of a meal and then it just you sort of ruins your consistency, I think. You come reliant and I think it can then actually, it can alter your focus. Like you said, if you, you get a taste for that um, cheat or whatever. And yeah. it, obviously it's person dependent. I've got clients that I can a hundred percent trust to have a cheat meal or i can even outline a cheat meal and say go to gourmet burger you know there are other great burger places out there mm-hmm. have a burger and sweet potato fries have a milkshake and have a slice of cheesecake and they can do that yeah i've also got clients that i've spoken to they'll admit it themselves if i give them a cheat meal they will binge mm-hmm. yeah not good like and they but the thing is the good thing is they recognize it i recognize it therefore we don't go there yeah. because that loss of control isn't something we need. Um, 
and therefore we can control it, like you said, by having a higher refeed day, which is maybe cleaner foods, doesn't act as a trigger, still elicits the same change. So mm. definitely, although it's person dependent, I do favour a refeed structured approach. Because yeah. again, it's just better for the coach as well, isn't it? Like, you know, it's good Absolutely. to have a population. Yeah, yeah, no, agreed. With the refeed approach, do you keep that in throughout the sort of the entire process and is that something that you only use when someone's dropped a greater amount of body weight than you initially wanted yes i don't i would never start a comp prep personally this is just my view on it yeah i don't i don't understand preps that every sunday you have a cheat meal or every sunday you have a high refeed day yeah my i think you have a refeed when you need a refeed Okay. Like it's you know the whole yeah, idea of prep for me, it's reaction, not prediction. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to predict that on a Sunday you can have 500 grams of carbs because you might not have dropped any weight that week. Why? Why then am I topping you up? Topping what up? Yeah. Then we're avoiding two weeks of progress. So no, I would never go in with a set plan. Uh, I don't believe in weekly cheat meals or weekly refeed days. As and when, and like I said, it's based on the week. Um, it's based on the reaction from the change, based on how hard they're training. If they want to elicit a bigger response, um, then they will. They might progress faster than I think and be having regular refeeds. It, who knows, even every three or four days if necessary. Mm. But it's not about me guessing that now. It's just about me waiting to see what happens and reacting to the change yeah that's interesting I, re- I i do really agree with that in terms of like i guess you could call it an auto-regulated approach to dieting because you're only situating a refeed when you need one as opposed to just having it in a protocol just sat there um yeah <laughs> i think you know the the issue with that is because you know you will just end up slowing progress if you're just refeeding for for no reason um and also like in obviously in the literature as well it's sort of been stated that from a physiological perspective the benefits of having a one day refeed are not that great in terms of regulate re-regulating hormone profiles and sort of leptin and ghrelin things like that it's not 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 been too benefit not been too beneficial um so you know people that argue oh there's physiological effects well not really from a one day refeed it's kind of negligible, yeah. So I don't adhere to that for all of those reasons, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, when you're getting like when you're getting leaner and leaner with competitors, do you see if like if they drop a good amount in a week and they need a refeed, do you see that you can get in more food as they get progressively leaner, like more higher I, carbohydrate days? Absolutely. Mm. In actual fact, um, it, the closer you get to the stage the more food you're going to be eating from a refeed and cheat meal perspective. Yeah, agreed, yeah. Absolutely. Like like I said, at the beginning of a prep, you're fattest. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't need, you know, your hormonal responses, as you just mentioned, leptin, they're, they're fine, mm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. It's only when you're at the dog end that you do need to, to make interventions. And the leaner you get, the more you can eat. So it's almost a bit of a backwards thought because people be like, oh, God, you know, I'm four weeks out. I'm going to stop all my cheat meals. And I kind of think, well, why did you have them in 16 weeks out and now when you need them, you haven't got them? Mm. So it's kind of a bit of a backwards thought from the traditional. But yes, and 
I, I have even with some clients increased their daily food when we've got closer to the show because they've mm. got that lean that actually they can have 50 more grams post-workout every single session because if they don't, we're going to be tearing into tissue. Mm. So mm. again, like we just said, it's it's reacting to the body and giving it what it needs when it needs it. And that's how I view prep. I don't, I don't care about the numbers. In my opinion, if you want to step on stage and bring the the perfect look you simply do what you need to do when you need to do it yeah yeah agreed i think i think that's something that's overlooked like like we said at the start you know you can have this perfect prep plan and it's never going to work like you can't purchase a 12-week prep online and not have no one schedule it like or, or sort of um set it out for you it's not a purchasable ebook plan you know you, you know can't, you can't do that it's um you know, it's something that needs to be very tailor-made and, and, and as a result, changes need to be made sometimes on like a daily basis. Absolutely. Um, now we're coming up to sort of, comp- or the, the first comp actually for us was the weekend just gone. We had three people compete at the weekend. So that's kind right, of yeah. start the conference. Yeah. And actually I've got literally written down in front of me now, I've got a piece of paper with my comp prep clients mm. and the ones that I need to watch, I'm watching their weight every day. Because yeah, nice. if I miss a trick, I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to miss a trick and I don't want to. You know? I want to get it right for them and they want to get it right. So, yeah, like, you know, we say we have a weekly check-in or whatever, but like you said, as we get closer, if your body is being, you know, less predictable as most of them are, and when you get leaner, I've found that the body is horribly unpredictable. Mm. It's it's scary. It's, it's so fascinating. So you yes. have to it literally 24 hours to check that it's that, that you're on track and check that you're making the right decision yeah absolutely agreed so in terms of expenditure uh, throughout a contest prep we know how beneficial sort of excess expenditure is in terms of creating a, a deficit and i know that you yourself is sort of the king of expenditure like in you know your videos with jordan you're constantly moving and <laughs> i'm sure yeah. that your expenditure is pretty pretty high in some instances but um with regards to how you see expenditure through sort of cardio um, and neat with regards to your clients and setting up contest prep protocols. Are you, do you favor lists over hits and which sort of situations would you use them in? And alongside that, do you get your clients to wear step trackers and what's your opinion on step trackers? Yeah, absolutely. Every client that comes to me, I, recommend that they use fitbit or an app or even just a really cheap pedometer just something yeah can track something i know you know they're not that accurate but if it's within affordability to get a five pound stepper fantastic Mm -hmm. so get that on them straight away um and that's that's for comp prep people or just or not comp prep it just people to look to uh to improve their physiques yeah um and then they can kind of get a gauge as to what they roughly do on a rest day and what they roughly do on a, a training day. Mm. And I will use that as as a fat loss tool because people believe in comp prep. They, they always say, oh, my metabolism slowed down. No, you've just got lazy. Yeah. Um, and that, that's the truth because people won't do it deliberately. But as they get more tired, they're inevitably going to want to do less. So instead of going for a walk outside, it's a nice sunny day. The sofa will seem a hell of a lot more appealing 
So instead of expending, if it's, you know, a thousand steps because they've literally just potted outside, they haven't. And yeah. that will impact, that will impact the, you know, your expenditure for the day. So, the so power, I absolutely, yeah. yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. I absolutely like to track the meat in some ways because um, that, that is so important. It's, it's great for just allowing that little bit extra food as well throughout the day. Um, so even if you're not trying to lose weight, if you're someone that can't eat very much, how, just being a little bit more active will actually keep your food a little bit higher, which is going to have then a positive impact both on you mentally, enjoyment for food, and also yourself in the gym. Yeah. Um, in terms of cardio, like formal cardio, mm. again, we do what we've got to do to get lean. Uh, when I first started competing, trust me, I'm not naturally lean. Um, it's surprising that. <laughs> Everyone always says to me, oh, you're genetically very lucky. And I think, well, no. Um, I've just mm-hmm. worked very hard for a long mm-hmm. time. And um, I've done hours and hours and hours of lists and cardio. Uh, sorry, lists and HRT. Yeah. Um, I like both. Okay. Um, I find that HRT is harder to ensure that the client's doing it correctly. Okay. Um, so I will actually get clients to film their HRT sessions for me and send it to me. Um, mm. And half the time, I'm, I can't believe I'm watching HRT because it looks like, like this. this. <laughs> so in which case, I'll then have to say, no, this is how you do it properly. Um, and then that elicits quite a nice change. Um, but as long I'll usually specify a rep range, uh, sorry, a heart rate range. So okay. I'll say, do lists and I would like it to be at 135 BPM okay. or I want you to do HOT and on those sprints you absolutely must hit 165 BPM without foul as an absolute minimum and then that way at least I'm giving them a, a specified target so I can guarantee they're, they're probably trying to reach that yep. so again I, I don't actually favour lists or HOT I, I like both I think they can both be a nice challenge it depends on the person. Some people enjoy HRT, some people don't and therefore won't do it properly. So mm. is it more beneficial to give them lists? Probably. Um, but again, a good mixture, I, I feel, is usually good because then it's it's not hours and hours of just walking. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, agreed. I, you know, I, I HRT is like quite enjoyable. So I like a good mixture. I haven't personally found with clients that one works better than the other. Okay. I think it's just person dependent and if you know you, that that client is going to absolutely go at that HRT, use it if you're not sure that they're going to be able to or it's going to take away from their weight sessions, maybe it'll make their legs more fatigued or something, yeah. then don't use it, so just be be smart, um, try them both and have feedback with the client because again it's about finding what works for that individual, yeah, but again, it's, it's energy in, energy out so that's it, yeah, um, yeah yeah i think that's what i think that's what sort of need people more people need to understand it's like hit isn't hit isn't like special there's nothing special fat loss special about it it's expending calories um yeah. i i think for anecdotally for my myself with hit i find that the inroads it, it takes into my recovery for weight training is too great 
Um, yeah. I, I just find that I, I feel just I'm really ill after it. Like I feel like my <laughs> CNS has just been suppressed massively. Um, yeah. So I don't think when I'm in a deficit, I don't think my body can recover from it. However, I, I do I do almost like doing a, a little bit of hit actually when I'm sometimes gaining like one session per week just from sort of like feeling good and like feeling yeah. healthy um, and being able to do reps of 10 without falling on the floor like <laughs> with my heart. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah, I do like that. And yeah, from a comp prep perspective, I think that, yeah, a, a sort of a split of both. And I've, I've found sort of with clientele myself, I think... Um, I think actually I found I don't know whether you can relate or not, but I found females deal with hit from a recovery aspect a little bit better. Um, yeah. But I'm not too sure as to why that is. Maybe it's more type two fibers or something like that that would I, have potential impact. I think I yeah I, I do agree. I think potentially that's just down to the fact that females are lighter and smaller. Yeah. Um, and the the. The weights that they're lifting in the gym comparatively aren't actually as CNS taxing as what bigger guys are doing. So say you've got a 200 pound guy who's squatting 200 kilos for Mm. sets of six, you you know, your females aren't going to be as strong comparatively, so their CNS isn't going to be as taxed. So I think it might just be down to a logistics sort of thing, actually. Agreed, agreed. You're right, I've, I've found the same. So it must be um you know women can actually recover from better more. from um higher rep sets as well yeah. so you know that could obviously impact on their ability to recover from hit too yeah yeah no i agree with that and um yes yeah, it's, it's interesting with like females training as well like i sometimes get you know form videos from from females as well and they'll do like a a set of six on squat and the first rep will look like a one rep max and then they'll continue to get five more whereas <laughs> a guy a guy would just get that one and rack it um, <laughs> you know, yeah, and die like it's, it's very interesting um one more final question on cardio as well is you um with, with people sort of situating their cardio is there any sort of general recommendations that you give to when people do it and if people have the time and it's feasible would you recommend splitting cardio am versus like am cardio versus pm weights or just splitting it in general as opposed to doing it post or pre-workout yeah i mean ideally i'd i'd favor if you've got to do them both in the same day um i'd favor splitting them so yeah. one in the am one in the pm yeah. um but like i said previously if you're at that stage where you've just got to do what you've got to do and you need to add in 20 minutes cardio post-workout because of a time factor and also you're really needing to do quite a bit of cardio to get lean, put it in. Yeah. yeah. I, I, in an ideal world, I wouldn't do any cardio on a training day at all. Okay, yeah. Um, but definitely try to split them as far away from each other as possible. Uh, that way you don't get any conflict of anabolic signaling. Mm. so if you're doing cardio after your workout is there any point because you've just done an hour and a half session your heart rate's elevated you've switched on all these anabolic pathways you then want to go away and eat to recover if you're just going to keep your heart rate vaguely elevated for another 20 minutes doing cardio it was going to be elevated anyway because you've Mm. just finished the training session so it's almost negligible Um, again prior to the weight session I wouldn't want to take away any fuel from my lifting um so yeah in an ideal world split them but at the dog end do what you gotta do and ignore the rules 
Yeah, no, absolutely agreed with that. Cool. Um, so one final question, Corin, to and we'll yeah. sort of wrap up things. I know that I had about a million and one questions, but we've managed to get through quite a lot of them, which is good. And this has definitely been been awesome. So final question: me watching like your videos and with Jordan, etc. Um, I I I see you obviously training very very lean and. But also what stands out to me is, is your, your ability when you diet down or, or when you're potentially off cycle, your ability to retain strength is is awesome. Like you seem to retain lifts really, really well. Um, so is, is there any sort of tips as like mindset hacks or um, potential programming tools that you've used when it comes to retaining your strength? Um, and alongside that, if it's okay to answer, have you seen much variance in strength retention in natural versus assisted athletes during a comp prep phase um yeah okay well i'll i'll answer the the latter question first okay um yes um if you're assisted you're it's so much easier to retain strength yeah as soon as you, you go off cycle, um, especially for a long period of time like it's fine for guys that cruise for maybe six weeks mm. i don't they don't typically drop very much strength at all because it's only a six-week phase and the compounds are still going to be within the system for at least a couple of weeks of that. I see. Um, okay. So they won't experience much of a drop in strength if they're stubborn enough to to retain it. Um, if mm-hmm. you come up off for a longer period of time, you will lose a big chunk of strength and also your recovery capabilities are going to be quite impaired as well. So again, that's an indirect effect because you, your training is going to have to to change yeah um, so that's that's the answer to that one you know yeah. is always going to retain more strength okay um from my perspective um in honesty my strength doesn't actually hold very well at all okay. i'm currently uh, i'm glad it looks that way yeah but, um, it does look like you train at least very hard to hold it yeah. on like obviously I, I train my training ethic doesn't change at all yeah, and i was sure. still dog it out and i'll do my absolute best in every single session yeah but my strength does drop quite significantly and for me that is i've alert this time actually that that's a body weight thing so mm. i won't be looking to stay this lean in an off-season phase again okay because okay. i've lost uh, i've lost a lot of tissue mm-hmm. and now i'm fighting to get it back and i will get it back but i my my chain of my my thought process now and the process that I'm going to do after this cop prep is I'm going to push my body weight up hard out the gate in order to retain that muscle because I don't want to lose it again from a powerlifting perspective as well. It's not advantageous for me to, um, remain that lean and lose that much tissue because then I've just stepped three steps backwards and I'm never going to step forward. Yeah. I don't just want to keep get back getting back to this place I want to progress. Mm-hmm. So actually after this comp, my intention will be to push up my weight hard mm-hmm. and I'm going to be doing a powerlifting meet in November. And then that's when I aim to take my 550 total. Bold statement, that's the first time I've announced it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it's on the cards now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in order to do that, straight out the gate from this competition at the end of the June, I will be pushing my body weight up massively and I will not be remaining this lean because yeah. it's not advantageous to the goal. Yeah. So I would always do my best to retain as much strength as possible and I will always train super hard, but I have lost quite a lot of strength and quite a lot of muscle mass 
and that's not something I'm going to do again. That was a mistake. Yeah. Um, so a word of advice, don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, we, we all learn lessons and we, we at least you've, you've learned that now and you know that next time that won't happen. I guess, you know, that it just it's sort of from staying lean going off uh, the the PEDs and and, yeah. and trying to retain everything is going to be extremely difficult um yeah. you know the, the 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 best of times when you're a natural athlete if you stay lean you're you're not going to retain numbers that you that you had when you were a, a little bit heavier like you know I've I've lost sort of I think 12 pounds now and yeah. my my bench press is, is is taking a hit you know my pushing <laughs> pushing moves are taking a hit um, weight moves weight unfortunately yeah. And, if, and literally, if you're, you know, because just to put it into perspective, at the moment, I'm sort of, uh, when I ended, before I went back on assistance, mm. I was 140 pound. This time last, this time last, it was actually below my stage weight. Yeah. This time last year, when I was, it competed in March at the, at the competition in powerlifting and got the 502. Yeah. I was weighing um, 174 pounds, I think. Oh, fuck. So I'm Jesus. 34 pounds under that. And you can imagine, if I stepped under a bar and tried to squat anywhere near 200 kilos, it would, I'd crumble. Oh, <laughs> like, it would just be appalling. So so weight moves weight. Mm. And the thing I've realised is I can't take that much of a step back in my lifts because I can't start at, the gra- at, at step one every time because I want a 550 total in 30 mm. weeks. Mm-hmm. So I've got a hell of a lot of work to do this summer. And, you know, staying lean is cool. Don't get me wrong. I like being lean, but it's not its not my goal. It's more important for me this year to reestablish myself as a powerlifter. Um, so I'm going to ignore the fact that I don't like being less lean. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to focus on the goal. Yeah, I think psychologically... Some people do find it hard. I know that, like, um, people, people, you know, find it hard pushing up their body weight, like we discussed earlier on. Um, it is. It is. Like mentally, mentally, it's a, it's a, it's a task and it's a struggle. And I can imagine for females as well. And I know with my female clients that I work with, you, you, you don't almost get the same benefits as guys do. Like for, a, no. for some, for some females, filling out a t-shirt isn't actually that enjoyable. <laughs> no, that's not a life goal of mine. No. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, guys get bigger, and then all their mates in the gym are like, cool. Oh, Say so you're bigger. Hench. Yeah. When someone tells me I look hench, I think, oh god. <laughs> you know, it's not. No, no female wants to be called a unit. <laughs> so just a word of advice to anyone: when I'm bigger. Yeah. If you come up to me, say you're looking powerful, yeah. say you're looking strong, That's don't right. tell me I look hench or like a unit. <laughs> Word yeah. of warning there, right? Word of warning. If you see Corinne at body power, don't say she looks hench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Powerful. Right. I like that word. Powerful. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, well, yeah, Corinne, thank you very, very much for your time today. I, um, I thoroughly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. No worries at all. And yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed the chat. I think a lot of both male and females will take a lot away from this. I know that I I sort of said to um, people on Instagram that I'd be interviewing you. And I know that a lot of people are excited to to have you on and a lot of people love your work. So um, yeah, to you and Jordan, keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. And um, 
and to listeners as well that listen to this thank you very much for listening again um if you do have any sort of other questions for for me or corin um leave them in the comment section on on the youtube video and i'm sure that um if corin gets a chance to see them i'm sure we'll we'll have a look at them i'd like yeah. to I'd like to also highly recommend that if you did like what sort of Corin said on this podcast or if you did like the JP podcast, I highly recommend that you head over there to their site, which I will link below. Um, highly recommend that you immediately sign up as a member. Um, it's, a, it's a very low cost. I think it's still five. It's still five ninety nine per month, isn't it, Corin? Six ninety nine. Six ninety nine. That extra pound. Um, but yeah, I'll I, make it worth your while. <laughs> I highly recommend that you subscribe to their site. Um, the, the videos on there are not only super motivating but very educational um, and you can take home a lot especially um, you know with regards to supplementation um, both for, for natural athletes and assisted athletes and, and just a, a wealth of information on there so I highly recommend that um, and, and yeah that's pretty much it unless you've got anything else to leave Corin, then we'll end it there yeah no just thank you for having me I hope that was helpful to Amazing. some degree um and yeah. yeah yeah great please ask questions and always happy to help and do what we can awesome well guys i'll link all of corin's bits below in terms of her socials and where you can find her if you're not already following her and that's it that's a wrap so we will see you back in episode 32 thanks very much for listening and yeah take care guys <laughs>